It's time for Black Doctors Speak, the radio video podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Lenore. Today's subject, gun violence. A special guest, Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey. Dr. Bailey is the chief of psychiatry at Louisiana State University in New Orleans. In 2018, Dr. Bailey wrote a book called At Gunpoint, with the events that occurred at the Christian School in Nashville this week. Who better on this topic at this time? Welcome to our program. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. Lenore. It appears to me that, you know, is it the fact now that we as a society are teaching our children to respond to disagreements, not with collegiality or arbitration, uh, as they do on schoolyards, but violently. Oh, absolutely. Uh, in so many ways, uh, we don't have enough time to talk about it. I, I think about all of the settings in which you hear of an individual as a conflict with a person. They leave the site of the conflict, uh, a store, for example, go to the car to get a gun, and then come back to resume the conflict. Whereas we would argue that if you left the conflict, conflictual location, whether you're in a store or at work with a coworker or at a ball game, whatever the case may be, uh, at a church, for example, uh, the bigger person lets it end there and leaves. But the, the fact that you have to return back at all, let alone with a weapon of destruction like a gun, really speaks to the fact that you're percent right, Dr. Lowe, we are sending a signal to too many persons that we can't have conflict which exists in human nature, it's existed for the thousands of years we've been here and will always exist, without the ending being such that somebody has to lose their life or light life or limb. I'd also argue that in addition to the volatility of it, there also seems to be this aspect that no, no other aspect seems to be able to modify it. Uh, historically, one thing that prevented you and I, if we were in conflict from getting into a fight, was that one of us could use humor, for example, to modify the conflict or to decrease the tension. Or somebody around us might say something and say, stop that, you know, don't fight or decrease. Nowadays, either people around you don't intervene, they have lowered intensity, or what they say is ignored and we kind of keep fighting. So many of these structural barriers to ending conflict with violence, let alone fatality, have been, you know, eliminated. So very often, uh, whatever we have escalates very rapidly, oftentimes to a point of um, being so high that somebody loses a uh, life or limb. I know you to be an effective problem solver. I've worked with you at every level and you've been able to solve these problems. How are we gonna solve this one? I think that um, the issue of gun violence in America is gonna require um, four things. We just talk about this all day today. Uh, a, first and foremost, we're just gonna to have to have government play a role. Our government has been absent in abstentia for decades on the issue of gun violence. And you could argue that it's because of X, Y, Z or whatever. I'll get to that next. But the point simply is, I don't think we can solve it if government is regularly out of the equation, not passing any laws, ignoring it, you know, turfing it to a different issue and the like. Uh, and I think that's going to be tough to do because our government very often is splintered. We have hyperpartisanship at the federal level, the state level, even local levels. And as long as those entities are speaking all over the place, we don't have the kind of coordination you have to have to solve this kind of a public health type problem. Look at a country like Australia that also had a, a, a long gun history and a, you know, a, a Western mindset and every man for himself. But when they had the problem in 1994 in Port Arthur, Australia, uh, they put down those differences and worked together to create some laws that have decreased you know, mass murders in, in, in Australia over the last three decades substantially. That's one issue. 
A second issue, I think, is that we have to also take the, the address the fact that you know money and and dynamic uh, economic circumstances are driving this engine. Uh, it's part of our politics. You know, you can donate money to a politician um, indifferently. Uh, it's part of the fact that you know persons um, will still get those kind of supports, whether you're running a business or whether you're in government or whether you're running for an office. Uh, so I think that the fiscal impact is so high, Dr. Lenore, that there are some people who've just determined that it's more important to be on the right side of that fiscal pipeline of money than to be, what I would argue, on a better side of safety for our community. So I would argue that's kind of selling out uh, one's community. And I think that's exactly what, what we've seen. Uh, we have to take the value, the financial value of being on, on that side of this issue away from being so strong or being there at all in order to get any effective change. So I think that money is a second issue. I think the third issue is that our people have to work through our own individual processes. We've got to find other strategies to, to get better. Uh, many persons in somebody's own home will say, I will protect myself and my family by buying a gun or some guns. And that's why now there are 400 million guns almost in America and maybe 350 million in America. There's more guns than people. But all too often, most people don't know you buy a gun and it's much more likely to, to, to fall and shoot somebody as an accident or to shoot yourself while you're cleaning it or somebody breaks it and steals it and uses it in the conduction of a homicide or somebody suicides with it. All kind of things happen by, by a person with good intentions bought a gun. So the sheer access to so many guns and their volatility, I think, is part of a problem. And all of us, all 350 million Americans, have a role to play in decreasing uh, the volume of guns in American society. Many people don't think that. They think it's all, it's all on somebody else. The bad guy who shot the gun and shot somebody. That's the end of the process. That's a long and arduous one that I think is often leading to this difficulty. And then you get these mass shootings with everybody's attention. And my final point simply is we have to have repetitive messaging. Um, we talk about this issue a lot. This is my third media activity today, um, May 31st, um, 2022 on an issue. If a month from now, this is falling off the radar, nobody's thinking about it or talking about it or moving on it, we have the same problem because this happened last month and last year and five and 10 years uh, ago, and we made no effective change because we stopped talking about it and making it, I think, a high priority in American society. Four points. I think they all have, uh, they all re um, uh, resonate. You see that um, this particular incident in Uvalde may, and well, I say Uvalde because I'm not sure Buffalo is still on most people's radar. But uh, do you think that this is a game changer? I, I don't. Unfortunately, I hate to be negativistic, but I thought when the 10 or 15, I forgot the number, little children in Connecticut at Sandy Hook were killed, that would have been a game changer, that the power of the entities that I think uh, gained so much money by having free access and liberal access to guns would finally be overcome by American society. I thought politicians at the federal level would say, enough's enough. We're going to have some sensible gun control legislation. You can't buy a gun if you're 18. you got to be older. You can't ever buy a gun if you've had a history of the three issues that we know in the data are likely to use guns to kill people. History of alcoholism or drug use, uh, intemperately, being a victim of gun violence, and been a perpetrator of gun violence. Those are the three variables in the psychiatric literature that are tied to high gun uh, volatility and gun usage. But none of the 50 states have laws abridging access to guns by those individuals. But all, the, all states have laws abridging access to guns if you have a diagnosis of chronic mental illness. So we actually have laws is to direct it at, at the wrong people. My final point, I think that 
uh, although I hope that I'm wrong about this, it'll change. The idea that these children are killed to me is all too familiar what we had with Sandy Hook. Uh, and at that point, there was a lot of talk uh, at the national federal level. We couldn't get any laws changed. We can go back to the earlier points because of this rubric that if you have a gun, you're safe, which I challenge, I disagree with. And also because there's so much money involved in the, in the gun business because our politics are so intricately related to it. Politicians think they can't win an election if, they don't, if they're not on one side or the other. The hyper-partisanship of our, of our politics works against us. Those issues must change. We would be remiss if we didn't ask Chief Psychiatry at uh, LSU, uh, author of the book, At Gunpoint, everybody points to increasing access to mental health as a solution to this problem. What say you about that? Well, I, I'd say, I think, uh, I'd say two things. Uh, I'm very happy to hear as a 32-year practice psychiatrist, uh, I like you from Texas with the Mayor Screams to Texas, I like you. I think you Dallas and me Galveston. Uh, and I've worked for my entire career um, in Texas and other states as well, trying to argue for more support um, for, and resources for uh, mental health, for diagnosis, treatment, and care. Uh, so I'm all for that. I think it has remarkable value and it'll show long-term benefits in many areas. Many people will live a better life and hopefully be a lot less homelessness and, and distraught individuals and hopefully be a lot less violence as well. However, and it's a big however, with all capitals and bold, I would challenge and objectively, you know, uh, and object to a construct that if you address the mental health problem singularly, you go address the violence problem uh, intemperately. So that implies that, the, that the, this issue is all about those who have pre-existing diagnoses of psychiatric illness. And that's just patently untrue. Uh, many people who engage in such behavior that's violent uh, have never been diagnosed as having a, a violent a, a mental illness, if you will, let alone a chronic mental illness over more than six months of time period. So we've got to dig deeper than to just look for a very quick, you know, um, snap of the fingers, you know, res uh, response that if we could just address the mental illness problem this violence problem will go away. We've got many people who engage in violent acts who have never been previously assessed or diagnosed as having mental illness. We've got to address all potential risk, many of whom have mental illness, most of whom though do not. And I would say in conclusion though, that those people who believe this can be solved in some of the ways that I've heard from politicians uh, through the years and even recently, suggest that they have a certain mental illness that needs to be checked somewhere. Uh, and so consequently, I think it certainly is the integration of a lot of factors that it's going to take to say, change this process. I just think that what we've done, the difference now is we have bigger, stronger, more deadly ways to do it. Dr. Ron Kennedy Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time from your busy schedule. I think this has been very valuable uh, to those people who have the opportunity to listen.